Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 16th, 2022, called A Baptism of Royalty, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We're going through Luke chapter 3, and in this section, it's fascinating, we're going through uh, getting to the baptism of Jesus. That's the exciting news. And each gospel has a section about the baptism of Jesus. What's interesting on Luke is Luke takes a lot of time developing and telling you about the ministry of John the Baptist, right? The one preparing the way of the Lord. What was it like, this baptism of repentance and forgiveness, right? That's what he references directly. But then he continues on and says someone else is coming who will bring a baptism of Holy Spirit and fire. And that's your second point on that sheet. And then we finally get to the baptism of Jesus. What does that mean for us in everything that happened there? So we're going to unpack that today if you follow along with your outline as we start over with that first point, right? That baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It reads here, that John went into all the regions around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So you read that text and you kind of wonder, well, what's going on over here? A baptism for the forgiveness of sins? I thought that's what Jesus came to do. Are you saying that like that this baptism was of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? They could have their sins forgiven? Well, well what's going on with that? Is it an effective means? And you got to read it and you got to say, well... You know, the text says that, and this is God's word. See, you got to kind of go, yeah, okay. It's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, yeah, it's, I guess it is effective. But at the same time, you know the perspective of the whole story. So you sit there and you also go, no. So it can't, it's not the final thing. So, so what's really going on with this? And Well, the best way I can explain it is it's like going to the car wash. Right? If you can go to the next picture, I went to the car wash for all of you, so we had a visual element to this sermon. So that's me with my minivan, as all the guys in the rooms of trucks look on with envy at my minivan. <laughs> right? In all its glory. So there's me with my vacuum. So I vacuumed out my minivan. Go to the next shot. I shined it. I made sure it was looking good for everybody. <laughs> right? Don't laugh so hard at it. All right? I shined it to make sure it looked good for everybody. And here's the end result. Right? Everyone go, ooh, ooh, ah, minivan. Right? So, and let's say I went through it and I paid for, just for you guys, I paid for the $20 show pony wash. So we had this for the sermon because this puppy was clean. I vacuumed it. I wiped it down. I wiped down the inside. It, it was waxed. It got the deluxe rainbow foam thing or whatever, right? The underbody of it is washed. So my minivan was clean. How long do you think it'll stay clean for? Not, not very, right? I mean, just think about it, right? We live in Idaho, so sagebrush is outside, dust blows through the air. It's going to get dirty pretty quick. And if not that, you know, it's winter, so the roads are still wet. It's still muddy. It's going to kick up mud underneath the underbody again along the sides. And even if my shoes were clean, let's say I walk in, my shoes are dirty, you know, walking in the, on the ground. But even if my shoes are clean, I have kids, Right? I have kids because that's, that's why I have a minivan, guys. All right? I, I have kids, and for some reason, even if they're not eating in the car, they, they, there's crumbs. 
right? Kids just exude crumbs. They come out of them. No one tells you that when you're about to have kids, right? I don't know what the crumbs are. Don't eat them, right? But, but crumbs just fall off of them. So there will be crumbs inside my minivan. It won't stay clean for very long, right? But let's say I even avoid the kids. I tell the kids they're never allowed in the minivan again, right? And I drive it home and I park it in the garage and no one drives it. Will it be clean? No. Why not? I'm trying here, guys. Why not? Dust, right? The very environment it sits in is dirty, the very environment my, my van, my minivan sits in is filthy. So somehow it's always going to be dirty. It's not even clean for a moment, right? There's not even a detectable second in which my minivan will stay clean. It's in a world that's dirty and full of filth. So here's John's baptism. We're bringing it back, right, to John's baptism. John did not drive a Chrysler Pacifica, Right? But John over here, he has this baptism that's an effective means for the forgiveness of sins. All it takes, right, it's a baptism of repentance. So people have to confess their sins, then they're baptized and forgiven their sins. They're clean, right? Well, kind of, right? They're, they're clean, but, but how long are they going to be clean for? How long is a person going to be sin-free, not even a detectable moment, right? We couldn't even count what it would look like, how long they would be sin-free. Even if you don't blame the individual being baptized, they're in a world that's what? Dirty, filthy, fallen is another word, right? It's fallen, and just the environment itself is full of sin. One couldn't remain clean. They would not remain clean. If you had to be perfect to fulfill the law... Not even a speck of dust. Not even the tiniest crumb. All that would make you dirty. You had to be perfect to fulfill the law. You would lose out. How often would you have to be baptized? How long would you have to be baptized in order for you to remain clean? <laughs> you're laughing because you're, you're thinking what he thought earlier. He's like, well, you just have to stay underwater. Well, yeah, how long is that going to work out for you? Exactly, right? It's not effective, but if it wasn't for the forgiveness of sins, then what was it for? If that's not why John was doing it, why was John baptizing? And I love hearing that section, right? John is the voice that cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Right? The last and greatest prophet, so we read, as Pastor Dinger so kindly put out. Right, He's called the greatest among men. He's not dumb. He knows what he's doing. He's proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. For the one that's coming. For the one that's coming. The one in which you're baptized and you'll remain clean. Because you see, John is this, this, this fulcrum, right? He's this tipping point. Something is changing, significantly changing right here in this, not just with him, but in the upcoming moments when Jesus comes to be baptized. Now, a, a baptism for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins, right? That means to actually confess you've done something wrong against God that needs to be forgiven, that's what John's doing. That's what he means by preparing the way of the Lord. If you read this text the, and you look at the other baptism texts throughout the Gospels, right, the people in this crowd that are there are 
Pharisee, right? And we know about Pharisee. I love that, that camp song. They're not fair, you see. Right? I know, but I'm dumb. Right? So we have Pharisee, we have Sadducee, we have tax collectors, and we have soldiers. That's, those are the people groups that are here. And a lot of these people, especially let's talk about the Pharisees, right? The Pharisee prided themselves on how much they did right. They prided themselves how they fulfilled the law, how they justified themselves. Right? And then we have soldiers. They were known for not just um, abusing the people that were in the streets, but as a soldier, they had to justify what they were doing and how they were handling themselves. Maybe even, you would say, to sleep at night. Right? And tax collectors, they had to justify their actions as they extorted extra money out of people. Well, I got to charge you, you know, 50 denarii, because even though the tax is only 40, because I got to make a living too. They had to justify. Their actions all the time. Every person that was there, in fact, they prided themselves on how well they justified what they did. Yet here, God has spoken to John, and John says this. John answered them all, saying, I will baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire, right? So the purpose of John's baptism in preparing the way of the Lord, it's that repentance. And repentance, when you say to repent, it's more accurately translated as to turn away. It's not just feeling sorry for something. To repent is to turn away. So that's my point over there. What does it mean to turn away and turn towards? Right? John's baptism, it's still a repent of repentance and forgiveness of sins. What I love, I mean, what I love about Jesus, I love everything about Jesus, right? That's a dumb question for a pastor to say. But one of the many things I love about Jesus is he takes things like baptism and he, he doesn't like kick it to the curb and say, this is dumb, we're doing something different. He takes baptism, this baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and he, he makes it more. Not only does he fulfill it, he brings it to us and makes it more. Right To say repent, um, you know, to confess a sin is just to do something wrong, to admit we did something wrong. But to repent, to turn away, means not only am I admitting I did something wrong and that I'm sorry for engaging it, but I desire to turn away from it. Not to engage with it, not to entertain it, to no longer be part of it. So what happens when you turn away from something? You face something new. Right? When you turn away from something, you face something new. That's what John is getting at here. John's preaching of repentance included both, yeah, of course, the turning away from sin, but it included turning towards the good news, right? To turn away from sin and turn towards our Savior. Is that still what it means today? You could say yes. Yes, okay, good. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. Right? You'll hear me all the time. Some of my favorite sections of the Bible I know. Pastor, the whole Bible is your favorite thing. I know, right? But I love, I really resonate with Peter and First and Second Peter. Hear this from Second Peter chapter 3. He writes this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus desires all to reach 
repentance. Not just feeling sorry for something, but to turn away from sin and see his glorious face. So to turn away and turn towards. And that leads us to the second part of this. A baptism of fire. Right? If I say baptism of fire, what do you think? What is the visual imagery that comes to mind when I say baptism of fire? Right? For me, it's stuff like this. You can go to the next slide for me. Oh, that's not it. That's the one. All right. You ever see Hunchback in Notre Dame? Right? That's Frollo, and he sings this song, Hellfire, and he's like burning everything up. Right? And I also think of that molten lava. Right? For any adults that come for baptism and they complain that the water's cold, right? We could get hotter stuff if you wanted to, right? That's what I think of when I, I think of baptism of fire, molten lava. When you hear baptism of fire, you think of God's judgment, right? The fire, he rains, uh, he rains down upon people, right? Separating those who are saved and those that aren't saved. When you hear baptism of fire, do you think of God's judgment? Well, I tell you, if that's what you think, yeah. You're, you're partially, I say partially, I don't mean partial, right? You're right, right? You're right, that's the tough part of Jesus, the tough side of Jesus, the tough love of Jesus, right? Numerous times throughout Scripture, we hear about the judgment that Jesus will bring, that he will be the judge. He says, you're either with me or you're not, right? And John, John the Baptist says it directly in this section, he says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and he's thrown in the fire. And that he's talking again to the Jewish people that are present there for that baptism. So what he's saying is you can't, you can't just rely on the, the fruits of your ancestors, right? The good faith of your, your father, your mother, and descendants that have gone back. You can't rely on just being a descendant of Abraham, See, if you don't bear the fruit of repentance, which is a fascinating statement, the fruit of repentance would be uh, fruit. What is fruit? When a tree produces fruit, right, it's not just to reproduce, but for us, being God's people, right, it's for the benefit of others. So the fruit of repentance brings benefit to others. Someone else tells us to do that a little later on. His name is Jesus, right? To do good works for the sake of your neighbor. But back to this, right? John's saying all that don't produce the fruit of repentance are, are thrown in the fire. Just because your father or mother was someone of significant faith, you can't rest upon their faith. You too must bear fruit of repentance. And he continues, right? He says this guy is going to bring his winnowing fork in hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat, right? The good stuff into his barn and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire pretty intense. And you might be thinking, Jesus loves us. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. John's eating bugs in the wilderness. He's just crazy. But then we read in the other Gospels where Jesus himself will even state here in Matthew 7, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. And then he says even later on in John 15, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So will Jesus come as a judge to judge the world, separate those who believe in him and those who refuse to accept him? Well, the answer we, we say is yes. 
Yes, we have that. But the other question that remains unasked, does God desire that for anyone? Does God really desire that for people? And that's where you could say the answer is no. No, of course not. Guess what? You're going to hear again from 2 Peter 3, the verse we just read, where he says this, The Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So a baptism of fire, does that only mean judgment? Well, there we say the answer is no. It doesn't only mean judgment. There's so much more to it. Because, see, fires can, we get the visual of like an actual flame, but it means so much more than that. Hear this from Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Jesus himself says this. He says this to his disciples. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Does that sound like a baptism of fire? Yeah. And then we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, right? Love me some Peter, right? 1 Peter chapter 1. So in in the context of 1 Peter, a quick overview, he's being persecuted by Emperor Nero at the time. Emperor Nero, he was the emperor of Rome that just hated Christians. He would take Christians, he would burn them in his backyard at parties for entertainment, right? On a spit. Or he would take the Christians, he was the one that threw them into the Colosseum so people could be eaten by lions, right? That's the guy, and that's the context in which Peter's writing this letter where he says this, So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. After this message, we're going to hear a great song. It's called Another in the Fire, right? There's another in the fire. I love this song, and no pressure, right? They're going to do a great job on it. Love this song, because this song is a direct reference to Daniel 3, and this is the Reader's Digest version of Daniel 3 right now, right? There are three men that are faithful to God, and because of that, they're thrown into a fiery furnace, right? I'd imagine it's a big building that's filled with fire, a fiery furnace. And they're thrown into it, but for some reason, you know, they're bound, but they're not burning. So everyone that's in there looking at this fiery furnace, they say, turn up the heat. So they increase the heat, they turn up the flames... And it burns hotter. And that's where we read this in Daniel chapter 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. Then he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. You see, the fire can look different for everybody and certainly looks different today. Matthew chapter 10 tells us that the world will hate us for being in a relationship with Jesus. Does that sound like a trial by fire? Absolutely. Right? Peter writes to us and tells us that our faith will be tested as gold is melted and reheated again. The way that gold was refined is they would put it in the fire until the gold melted and all the impurities from the metal would float from the top and they would take and scrape the top off, throw away the impurities, let the gold cool, and you know what they would do? They'd put it in the fire again. And it would melt. And then the impurities would rise to the top and be scraped away. Right? God's saying trials like that will happen in our lives to help make our faith more genuine. Does it sound like we're going through a trial by fire? A baptism of fire? 
Absolutely. And you know, the fire and the trials we endure here, they look different. And I'll tell you, tell you what, church, I feel it. I can feel that the heat, the heat's intense. And the heat is on. You know, I confessed in an earlier service today, I have a, a couple, very close friends of mine. I just went and flew and saw him in San Francisco in October. And, and they've been trying to get pregnant for so long. Finally, they were pregnant and they just miscarried um, over this past week. And I, f- I felt the fire for them. I felt the burn. And you may feel the heat as a loved one of yours. They struggle with either sickness or, or cancer. Right? In particular, you feel the heat from that. You feel the heat in broken relationships. Right? Between parents, friends, spouses and children. Indeed, we feel the heat of trials on a daily basis, don't we, church? And yet, yet we hear this. This is a section from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It reads this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So Grace, people here at church, people online, this is a hard statement to say, but I, I say this with genuineness. People will empathize with you and they will sympathize with you. No one will know what you're going through. No one will ever completely understand it. Except the one that's in the fire with you. The one that will understand what you're going through is the one in the fire standing right there next to you. In church, you know who that is, and his name is what? Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus is right there in the fire with you. He will not abandon you in the trials, in the fire, in the hatred, in the scorn, in the times of life where it burns, in the times of life and where it hurts. There's another in the fire with you. And that's where we're here, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. When you believe and follow Jesus, there will be fire. But church, you're baptized here with water. So yes, there will be fire, but there will be water. There will be relief because Jesus is always beside you. And that leads to our final point, which is this, a baptism into royalty. Right? This is a question that's asked pretty often, especially for, for earlier Christians. I don't want to say like Christ, people that haven't been Christians for a long time, but people still ex, like kind of exploring what does it mean that Jesus was baptized? Why was Jesus baptized? Right? We've gone through this already. Right? John's baptism was for repentance and forgiveness of sins. Were there sins that he needed to be forgiven for? No. Right? Jesus was the spotless minivan. Right? He was clean and always remained clean. So it must have been, um, did he need to be refined in order to face the trials of the world? Yeah, no. He's God. He's been there from the beginning. He's been around for all of it. There are big, fiery trials he's been a part of. Right? Fully God, fully human, fully divine. If it wasn't that, right, then why? Why? Because in the very manner of who Jesus is, he did it for you. Right? Jesus did it 
for us. Jesus builds a bridge of water between you and I, between us and him. A bridge of water in the world. And what does that really, water in the word, and what does that really mean? Well, there are some amazing points of focus, right? We heard it in that intro to Psalm 2, right? When Jesus was baptized, well, the voice of God proclaims from the heavens, You are my son, with whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Please, please. I tried to emulate what it might have sounded like with the echo. Right? And that intro to that Psalm 2, that's fascinating to note, right? That the people present at Jesus' baptism, right? Because we know this was done publicly. There were many people there present at his baptism. They were all Jewish, right? So there's a lot of implications here besides the obvious one that like the heavens were torn asunder, right? And a voice booms down from heaven. That probably caught a few people's attention. It would certainly for me, right? And he declares that you are my son. So we can read into it that, of course, that means he's the son of God. It's because we know so much more than the people present there. We have the whole story, and we praise God for that. But for those present there, that phrase being used from Psalm 2, for them, Psalm 2 was read at the coronation of a king. A coronation of the king of Israel. So they're hearing, all the Jews present, hear this as the proclamation of a king. It's not just the Son of God in this baptism. It's the proclamation of a king. So you hear John, right, in, one of, in the other Gospels, he says he found Jesus' baptism unnecessary, right? John's like, this isn't necessary. You should be baptizing me. Yet Jesus tells us in Matthew, verse 15, he says this, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. To fulfill all righteousness. To kind of give you the theological overview of all that, Jesus accepted from John this baptism because Jesus was entering into the place of a sinner, of us. He was entering in our stead so we could receive that forgiveness, taking upon himself our sins, which he had not committed, and wiping them out, drowning them in his holy baptism. That's why we read this section from Romans. And I put the highlight verse in there for you, so check this out. Romans chapter 6. Hear this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we are united by Christ, in Christ, and through Christ. And as Ephesians tells us, we're adopted as sons through Christ. Through the King, you've been adopted, which makes you what? Royalty. Yeah, go to the next slide for me. Royalty, right? I love this. When people ask who I think I am, I show them my crown. I don't think this was written by Christians, this slide over here, right? So to kind of, it's, but it is ironic, isn't it? You've been baptized into royalty, which makes you part of the royal family. And like I said earlier, I should be addressing you differently, right? King Andrew Krause, it's good to see you here at church today, right? And then, and then who else? Queen 
Queen Kate, it is great to have you here at church today. I should have been addressing you as king and as queen, right? We have, you've been given the keys to God's kingdom in a room in his palace through your baptism, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three which were present at Jesus' baptism, by the way. You've been adopted into royalty in the royal family. Jesus tied himself to you, created that bridge of water through his baptism, giving you his righteousness and taking upon himself our unrighteousness, giving you his crown of royalty and taking upon our deserved crown of thorns. So in closing, here's just a few things to wrap things up, right? Jesus came to fulfill John's baptism, but to bring to it so much more. To be with you in the fire in times of trouble. To be there with you when you turn your face away from sin and turn towards his shining light of life. To gift you a position in the royal family. And you know, baptism, it's, it's a big deal. It may seem small like a splash of water. But Jesus was baptized and we are baptized into his death, united with him. And if you've been here at Grace for a Baptism, there are probably three words that you've heard and they're these. Go to the next slide for me. Forgiveness, faith, and family. You see, Jesus took this baptism and he brought to it so much more. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin is forgiveness. A baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire granting you faith and being with you, refining your faith and, faith and in trials of faith, that's faith. And a baptism into royalty, being part of God's family, he brings us together as family. And we are together in family with God. And all this is done for you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to him be the glory now, forever, and always. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm-hmm.